0: More supply chain heat in China. Reports tell of a shortage of skilled labor in America. And generation gaps persist among warehouse workers. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends, on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the group editorial director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Heister Company, a global manufacturer of forklifts, high capacity lift trucks, and container handling equipment. Operations rely on Heister for everything from advanced power sources for material handling equipment to their industry leading package of operator assist technologies, Heister Reaction. For more information, visit heister.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, China has seen its share of supply chain problems over the past couple of years. On top of the many COVID shutdowns of entire cities, much of the country is currently experiencing a record heat wave and drought. How are those conditions affecting manufacturing and output in China and what ripples are being sent throughout our supply chains as a result? To find out, I spoke yesterday with Simon Jill, the Chief Procurement Officer for supply chain consultancy firm Proxima. Here is our conversation. Welcome, Simon. It's good to have you with us on Logistics Matters.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here.
0: We, of course, have been affected by heat all over the world, and there has been a, a terrible heat wave affecting current manufacturing and logistics operations in China. What is the current status of that?
1: Well, I, yeah, I mean, it's 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 incredible, really. You might have seen the images of the, the sort of the dried up riverbed, the Yangtze River. Um, and it can be really tempting to dismiss that as you know, yet another one of those amazing climate pictures that you know, perhaps um, some of us have become a bit desensitized to. even. But but since June, we've actually seen record breaking temperatures in China. And in fact, in some provinces, what that means is sustained temperatures of over 40 degrees. Uh, record lows in rainfall, and actually the worst drought in over a
0: century. And that's 40 degrees uh, Celsius, of course. In the US, we use the Fahrenheit scale, which makes it well over 100 degrees.
1: That's that's a really good point. Um, Well, I think, um, you know, just to put that into context, so about 40% of the landmass of China is currently classified as abnormally dry. But that accounts for about 900 million people. So that's more than the US, Canada, UK, and the EU combined. And if you think about the effects of that on the supply chain and logistics world well firstly i mean the elephant in the room the obvious one i suppose is the extreme heat is going to be harder to work in so productivity is going to take a hit at a worker level uh, or aircon is going to have to work harder so that's going to draw on energy and that's going to bring me on to what you know one of the real big challenges here is because a lot of the headlines a lot of the effect is on power and notably hydropower so china is the world's biggest producer of hydropower alongside Brazil, the US, Canada, India, and in Southwest China, about 75% of the power in that region is coming from hydroelectricity. And that's affecting in particular car assembly and electronics manufacturers who are having to close down for lack of power. So some household names, Volkswagen, Toyota, Tesla, Foxconn, have all had to suspend operations. And some of the plans to bring them back up this week have even been delayed because of the continuing challenges. But I think the big emerging worry might also be around food so china's got to feed 1.4 billion people and we're about to enter into harvest season that's going to consume a lot of water so a lot of power is going to go into that and the effects of that might be felt elsewhere but also a bad harvest is going to be problematic not just for feeding people but the implications of moving food in and out and around china of course, this heat
0: wave comes on top of the many COVID-related shutdowns that China has experienced. I just saw a note that another city, Chengdu in the southwestern part of China, a city of only 21 million, has has now gone into COVID-19 shutdown. So on top of the shutdowns for COVID, this heat wave is is taking quite a toll. What do you see as some of the long-term effects
1: with all of this? Yeah, that's a really good question, because I think um, you know we've we've been um, you know we've been hearing of lots of concerns over the last couple of years. I and mean, during the early days of the pandemic, we talked about the over reliance on China, how the shipping system was was clogging up and sending prices spiraling. Then we saw uh, zero COVID, um, and as you just mentioned, that that's still going on. Uh, we've seen the power brownouts uh, impeding production. We've seen typhoons. We've got lingering tensions with Taiwan, particularly when it comes to you know, and um, the, the semiconductor uh, industry. and I think, you know, a lot of these things have been happening for a long time, but the fact that they've all sort of concentrated over the last two years has really focused the mind. And if you look back, uh, you know, I'm probably ashamed to say as a procurement professional that you'll probably find a lot of procurement people that didn't really pay that much attention to risks like pandemic, extreme weather, climate risk, geopolitical risk, or even thought, you know, contracts could be ripped up in their face because It just didn't happen. And so it couldn't happen. But it has. And so, you know, but despite these concerns and these long term concerns that we have about China, um, there's an argument that also says that China brings a certain amount of balance to the global system. And particularly the interdependencies between China and U.S. uh, on trade can give economic and political balance. And so, you know, whilst there are some long term concerns, it's not a simple situation at all. You talked about the long-term concerns,
0: what about short-term? Well, will this create some more bottlenecks within our supply chains? How will it affect ocean rates, for instance, which have been steadily dropping from their previous high, but are still extremely high?
1: Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, the, the way that I always uh, like to talk about this is that is that supply chains and therefore availability and price thrive on predictability. And that predictability has to sit within certain tolerance bands. And anything that happens that's unpredictable that that pushes it out generally impacts availability and therefore impacts price and so um, what we're seeing at the moment um, yes we've seen some predictability come back into the system so we've seen um, you know shipping lines able to absorb demand a bit more capacity coming online and market prices generally you know reducing to um, perhaps 30 percent below where they were um, at the end of last year but you know, the system is still stretched, and so anything that layers in unpredictability in that system is going to have, or sustained unpredictability is going to have an impact on price. I don't think it's going to be terminal, but I do think that you know, it might uh, it might stall some of those gains that we're currently seeing. Now, of
0: course, we have the current heat wave. We've had COVID-related shutdowns and other manufacturing delays and problems, as well as the political situation in China. How long do you see before things are normalized there? And our supply chains kind of return to what they were pre-pandemic.
1: Do you know I asked this I asked this question to to a lot of people myself actually, and I think the most optimistic were um you know, notwithstanding the fact that we're seeing, as I say, some returns to predictability, we're expecting a level of normalization in 2023, but far more people were expecting it to be, you know, um, pushed out further than that. And I think it's really important to just question what does normalization going to look like. Um, you know, for example, it looks like we're living with COVID, so what does zero covid look like it looks like we're living with climate challenges so what does this do to energy what does a low carbon model look like it looks like we're going to keep living with geopolitical tensions so what do future trading relationships or or sanctions look like um we think that china will prioritize some domestic construction production consumption so how does that affect global supply and pricing and you know we're seeing the eu and the and the us seek to grow competent zones for key supply chains so how does that recalibrate the system and then of course how does all of that what does all of that do to cost and availability and so I do think there's going to be sustained changes and upgrades to the system it's quite difficult to predict you know just what those are going to look like at the moment because there is a reliance on China and it's you know the concept of near shoring or friend shoring it, it, it's not a simple thing to do it looks easy on paper but there's a lot to work through you just mentioned near shoring or fr- or friendly
0: shoring um, is that something that supply chain managers are continuing to evaluate? Have most of them already diversified some of their supply chains based on what has taken place the last couple of years, or is there still a lot of work to be done there?
1: Well, I think what um, many of them have done is they've, they've taken some actions to soften the blows. So I think the answer broadly is yes. If you look at the statistics, it will tell you that a majority of organizations have broadened their supply chain, so they've gone out and sought alternative sources. Um, and of course many of many uh, you know buyers have gone and stockpiled where they can um, you know, that can have a positive and a negative effect as we're seeing in, in retail at the moment and around working capital in particular um, but many organizations have just you know got a lot better at planning and communicating and being more agile internally um, but i like to um, well, whether or not i like to but i've certainly recently been describing supply chains as, as a punch drunk boxer Stood in the middle of the ring, taking punches in the face, Um, and I think they're still coming. But for now, we're not seeing any knockout blows.
0: Thank you for being with us today. We've been talking to Simon Gill, the Chief Procurement Officer for Proxima. Thank you again, Simon, for being our guest. Absolute
1: pleasure. Thank you for the invite.
0: Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. The latest job report came out this morning, shows an increase of of employment by 315,000 in August, but Unemployment rose to 3.7%. That's still historically very low. Yet, Ben, you reported on how there is a growing shortage of skilled labor in the U.S. workforce. Can you share some details?
2: Yeah, it's true. It's a uh, complicated economic picture right now, uh, to to say the least. Um, The latest study that we saw was from an employment and labor law firm called Liffler Mendelssohn and also the National Association of State Chambers. So they cooperated. Um, they, they looked. Usually, we cover truck driver shortages, warehouse working shortages, but this was uh, broader based. Uh, so they were looking at not just logistics operations, including those, but uh, you know nationwide trends. Um, and and really, what they found was a shortage of skilled labor nationwide. Uh, so first of all, to measure the extent of that situation, of that problem. Uh, the researchers said that employers uh, say in the le- latest measure that they have nearly two job openings per available worker. Uh, that statistic comes from something called the JOLTS report, uh, job openings and labor turnover. Uh, so that that came out, I think, just a week ago. And, uh, and there are other Labor Department numbers that likewise show uh, a, what they call a rising employment cost index. Uh, that's driven largely by rising wages. And persistently high employee quit rates. So, you know, all those factors make it tough to be an employer nowadays. Um, the issue is not brand new. Employers have been saying similar things in recent years. Uh, first, we—it's it, been bumpy in the last couple of years. We saw the U.S. economy rebound from the financial crisis, uh, the Great Recession. Those things forced the labor market to get tighter and tighter. And uh, as you'd mentioned. In the intro uh, you know the national unemployment rate has fallen very low uh, it was below five percent in 2016 below four percent by 2018 uh, and then of course after the covid induced shutdowns the, there was an economic rebound and then there was more demand for those jobs but with low unemployment uh, things got even tighter so uh, some of the reasons that for those type of trends uh, the report said you know it's impacted by there's an aging population specifically a wave of retirement by baby boomers Um, and of course there's another there's been a wave of resignations uh, throughout the pandemic Uh, and also with the gig economy jobs uh, it just makes it very easy for workers to skip between different employers and quickly pick up new work Um, so you you may have noticed some of these effects uh, in reduced hours at certain stores or maybe there's a long wait for the server at the restaurant Uh, But the report that we read said that the situation is now more broadly inhibiting um, corporate expansions and success.
0: You know, those are all very serious challenges that you pointed out. Did the report have any ideas for solutions? Uh, It did,
2: uh, but it was quick to say that they're long term solutions and this is going to take some time to have an effect. Uh, You know, this situation is nationwide across all 50 states uh, and, and uh, you know some of the ideas we're going to talk about uh, take some time to get traction um, it, there are some short things uh, short-term things some of the state chambers and their member companies uh, are looking at ways to increase applicant pools short term uh, the number of applicants for each job for instance by reaching out to disengaged groups of adults and young people uh, maybe people they don't usually recruit uh, longer term, uh, they're looking at supporting things like improving school funding and childcare and uh, pre-kindergarten public education, uh, so those things can support. Uh, but really, foundational changes will take longer. Uh, so the report said that uh, you know some chambers of commerce are pushing for legislative change at the federal level. Uh, the top example of that is immigration reform. Um, of course, that's you know annually that's a, a tough. Sell politically uh, for a host of reasons, um, but in terms of growing a labor pool, uh, the chambers say you know that they would like to push for more work visas, more green cards, particularly for highly educated foreign workers, um, improving a guest worker program, uh, building legal protections for DACA children. Um, you know, allowing more undocumented citizens to have a path to obtain citizenship. So all, all these things would grow the workforce, uh, including the skilled workforce. Uh, there's some other stuff, uh, other other legislative ideas. Um, you know, they want to take a look at what they call some outdated OSHA rules. That there are some acts I, I wasn't so familiar with myself. Something called the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act, um, and and there are some other career awareness programs and things. So a, a lot of ideas here uh, that that were supported um, and suggested, and we'll just have to you know, especially with those longer term things, uh, and cr- cross our fingers and see how they work out in the long run.
0: Right. Doesn't seem like there are any easy fixes. So probably a problem that'll be with us for quite some time to go.
2: Yeah. That 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 would be my guess.
0: <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Ben. And Victoria, keeping with the labor theme, you wrote about how there's a generational gap in our warehouses, and that's affecting work within them. Can you share more?
3: Absolutely, yes. So to piggyback on Ben's report, we saw some uh, data, new data this week on the shortage of warehouse staff. Um, shifting demographics are having an impact on the overall supply chain, uh, but it seems especially acute in warehouses and uh, DCs. Chief supply chain officers that took part in a recent survey said they expect industry labor shortages to persist and that those shortages will be driven by what they say are generational differences in employment preferences. Now, this is all according to research from logistics technology vendor Berkshire Gray, which makes artificial intelligence-based and robotic solutions for fulfillment and logistics. The company surveyed more than 200 U.S. supply chain executives at e-commerce and retail businesses, and they found that these shifting demographics are combining with changing consumer expectations and online buying trends to really change the look and feel of today's warehouses, DCs and fulfillment facilities. What all this comes down to is that companies are losing workers due to retirement and other issues, as Ben just mentioned, And they're having a hard time recruiting younger workers to work in DCs and fulfillment centers, which are still largely manual, physically demanding environments. There's also a smaller uh, pool of labor in the younger uh, demographic, and they have a lot of other choices. So there's a lot going on there. And this is all while facing accelerating order volumes and the need to get those orders out the door faster than ever before. Executives say they're pursuing two primary strategies to combat the problem, and the first is investing in automation technology, and the second is increasing workers' pay. And just to give you a few statistics from the report, uh, 64% of those surveys said that generational differences in employment preferences will have a long-term impact on labor availability. More than half said labor shortages have kept them from meeting uh, productivity demands, Three-quarters said they'll need to raise wages to attract and retain workers. And 70% said they'll need to use robotics and automation to fill the production gap.
0: Victoria, did the survey say why this problem is especially hard on the logistics industry?
3: Yeah, it seems to be a demand and supply issue. There is so much demand for fulfillment. Um, Based on accelerating e-commerce levels and customers expectations for fast delivery, you know, as I said a minute ago, um, and it's hard for companies to keep up if they can't add the staff that they need. And even if they could add enough people, many argue that companies would still need automation to speed their processes and improve accuracy just based on um, accelerating volumes and how business is changing. Automation also helps with recruiting. According to this research and anecdotally, really, throughout the industry, more than half of the executives surveyed said that implementing automation will increase employee satisfaction, and 43% said they think automation will lead to a decrease in employee turnover. And that's because automation can do things like improve safety and general working conditions and facilities, while also allowing workers to gain more technical skills. In general, too, we often hear that. workers think it's you know, really cool to be working with the latest technology. So that really helps attract and retain people, especially younger talent. Just one more quick statistic from uh, this uh, survey. More than 50 percent of the executives uh, who responded said they're in the process of adopting or planning to adopt robotics for fulfillment for their fulfillment operation. So, um, yeah, a lot uh, shifting and changing in the warehouse for sure.
0: Yeah, certainly is. And again, it just seems to emphasize how automation and robotics will continue to impact our industry into the future. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. We encourage listeners to go to DCVelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. And again, our thanks to Simon Jill of Proxima for being our guest. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. And speaking of subscribing, we encourage you to check out our new sister podcast series, Supply Chain in the Fast Lane. It's co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. Subscribe to Supply Chain in the Fast Lane wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Heister. With strength, durability, and their industry-leading suite of lift truck operator assist technologies, Heister powers your possibilities. For more information, visit heister.com. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters. Be sure to join us. Until then, stay safe and have a great week.